Today's scripture comes from the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not go very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, good morning. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors at the church. I lived for a few years in Portland, Oregon. And one summer, when my family visited me from Chicago, one of my brothers and I decided that we wanted to summit Mount St. Helens. It's one of the iconic mountains that you can see from Portland on a clear day. And you might know the name too from when it erupted in 1980. Now, it's no Mount Everest, but it's still a difficult hike. You have to be knowledgeable about the terrain, you have to have the right equipment, and you have to be in good enough physical condition to make it to the top. People do die trying to summit Mount St. Helens. But thankfully, people had warned us about this difficulty. I spoke with others who had done it and they gave us advice. I got trail guides, I made sure we rented the right equipment, and my brother and I made sure that we were both in good enough physical condition to summit. And so when the day came, we were prepared so that even though my brother got a little bit sick on the way to the top, we were still able to summit safely. Our passage for today is similar. It both warns us about difficult times ahead and also shows us the way through. And while it will be difficult, the experience from the top makes it all worthwhile. When I got to the top of that mountain, that view was absolutely breathtaking. I've actually summited higher mountains before, but because everything around Portland is pretty much at sea level, this was the most expansive view that I had ever seen. Absolutely breathtaking. And similarly, though there are difficult days ahead, the view and the experience at the top makes it all worthwhile. So let's dig into this passage. It begins with the warning, and this is the main point of this passage. Take a look. Verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And really quick, when are these last days? 
Well, according to the Apostle Paul, they had already begun when he wrote this letter to Timothy. We know that because he uses present tense verbs in verses five through nine. In the New Testament, the last days are the days between the first and second coming of Christ. So when are these last days? We're living in them. And Paul tells us what they will be like. There will be times of difficulty. The Christian life isn't like a stroll through Central Park with a pumpkin spice latte in hand. It's like summiting a mountain with an ice pick in hand and heavy gear on your back. There are difficult times ahead. And verse 2 tells us why. Take a look. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, some severe language, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. That's quite a list, and it's pretty harsh, right? But at the same time, it's pretty relatable, too. We do live in an age with people like this, and that does make life difficult. It's draining to work with people who are heartless and arrogant and lovers of self. How many of you, when you heard this list, thought about uh, a coworker? Don't raise your hand. How many of you thought about a roommate? Definitely don't raise your hand. How many of you thought about yourself? When I uh, was writing this sermon, I messaged a handful of you because I was curious what your first reaction to this list was. And some of you, being the humble, godly people that you are, said the first thing that you thought was, this is me. I am these people. And it's true. We're all guilty of the things in this passage. We're ungrateful, proud, and we love ourselves rather than God. But the primary focus in this verse isn't actually those who are struggling with sin, like we all are. And the primary focus isn't our coworkers or society in general. The primary focus is in verse 5. Take a look. Where are we at? Here it is. Uh, So the primary focus is those who have an appearance of godliness but deny the truth. That is, they deny the power of God to change their hearts and minds. The Apostle Paul says something similar in his letter to Titus that helps us understand what he's saying here. He says that there are people who profess to know God but they deny him by their works. They say they're Christians, but their lifestyle reveals that they're not. These aren't people who are struggling with sin. These are people who, instead of struggling with sin, have accepted and embraced it. These are people who appear to be godly, They go to church, maybe they even consider themselves especially spiritual because maybe they're non-judgmental or they they see themselves as especially open-minded. In in their heads, maybe they are uh, more enlightened and they live a more grace-filled life. Unlike other Christians, they're free from the rules. 
They have an appearance of godliness, but they deny the power of God. They claim to be Christians, but in reality, they're not. They're like a bad knockoff. At first glance, it might appear like the real thing, but when you look closer, you can tell that it's not. And one of the implications of this passage is that we should all be on guard against the things in this list. It's true that we should see ourselves here. We are far too tolerant of sin in our lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a temptation to take our sin lightly. This passage warns us that we should continually strive to repent of our sin, knowing that God has called us to live a holy life and that he does have the power to change our hearts. There were people in Paul's day who denied this, and the same is true today. And Paul warns us that because of such people, there are difficult times ahead. And first of all, this is a warning to Timothy that his work of a pastor, as a pastor, will be difficult. It's difficult because calling these people to repentance is difficult, because it may even result in persecution, and because guarding the church against these people and their teaching can be difficult. And this false teaching isn't, doesn't just make the work of a pastor difficult, it makes all of our lives difficult. It's hard to discern the truth when one Christian says one thing and another Christian says another. One Christian says, follow your heart. Another says, your heart is deceitful. One says, love yourself. Another says, deny yourself. One says, this is a sin. Another says, that's just uptight and legalistic. Both sides claim to be Christians. How do we know what's true? It's not always clear cut. The people that Paul warns us against make life difficult because in a web of contradictory teachings, it can be hard to see through to what's true. And if we're not prepared, then these people can lead us astray from God. We'll see that in verse 6. And so Paul warns Timothy, and he warns us here today, understand this, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. If you want to make it to the top of the mountain, you have to be prepared for difficult times ahead. But Paul doesn't just warn us about this difficulty. Like my friends both warn me and also give me advice for how to make it to the top, so Paul shows us the way through. Look at the second part of verse 5. How should we respond to this difficulty? We should avoid such people. Huh. That doesn't seem very Christian. Didn't Jesus spend time with sinners? Didn't he invite those who are heartless and unholy to follow him? Aren't we called to do the same? Yes and no. Remember, this isn't talking about skeptics or those exploring Christianity. With those who don't confess to be Christians, we should not avoid them. We should welcome them into our homes and invite them to come to know Jesus. 
And not just with non-Christians, but also with those who profess to be Christians but deny him by their works. With them, too, we're called to be patient and gentle, praying that God might lead them to repentance in the same way that he led our hard hearts to repent and trust in him. That's what Paul commands Timothy and does in the passage right before this. But then he says, but understand this. Correct your opponents with gentleness and humility, but understand this. There will be some who won't repent. And for those whom you have begged to repent time and time again, praying that God would lead them to repentance, but they still deny God, there comes a time when you should avoid such people. Likely this refers to excommunication, when the church formally declares that a person is not a Christian. This is a serious command. And that tells us that this is a serious problem. Those who claim to be Christians but deny God is not a matter that we should take lightly. We should avoid such people. And verses six through nine tell us why. There are two reasons that we should avoid such people. Uh, the first one is like this. I'm going to borrow an analogy from Jesus. Seems like a pretty good idea, right? How many of you during the pandemic took up uh, baking bread? Or how many of you baked bread before the pandemic? If you've ever baked bread, you know that you need a little yeast. Why do you need yeast? Yeast is the leavening agent that causes the bread to rise. It's what makes bread light and fluffy. But if you're making a flatbread, like say a roti or a tortilla, then you don't want the bread to rise. You want it to stay dense and flat. But if you get any yeast in the dough, it'll cause it to rise. And this is what Jesus says. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What he means is that just like leaven changes the dough, so their teaching corrupts hearts and leads people astray. And here's the thing. You don't need much yeast to make a loaf of bread. Don't underestimate the influence that false teaching can have on your spiritual life. A little yeast can grow in your heart and lead you astray from God. That's the first reason that we should avoid such people. That's what verse six is about. Take a look. It says, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Now this verse takes a little bit of explanation to understand what it's talking about. So first of all, were these people literally sneaking into homes and capturing people? No, Paul's speaking metaphorically here. He's saying that some of the people whom Timothy is to avoid are false teachers, and it was as if they were sneaking into households and capturing people to lead them astray. And that then leads to another question. Is Paul calling women weak? Is he suggesting that somehow women are more susceptible to being led astray? 
Not at all. He's warning all of us here, men and women, about this danger. He's not referring to all women. He's referring to a specific situation in Ephesus in which false teachers were leading particular women astray. And he goes on to describe these women. He says that the women he had in mind are are these specific women who were burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Something about their having been burdened with sin made them especially susceptible to to the teaching of these false teachers. Perhaps it was that the false teachers were telling them that their sin was okay, that it wasn't something of which they needed to repent. And so at the encouragement of these teachers, their sinful passions led them further and further from God. And you can see how that can easily happen. We all struggle with the sins listed in this passage. And when someone comes along and whispers to us and says, that's okay. That thing that someone told you was a sin, it's actually fine. That's just legalistic. Or when they say, you're not really proud or greedy. When someone tells us that this burden of sin, these things that have been burdening us, is not actually a burden at all, it's easy to believe it. We want to believe it. It's always a temptation to lower the bar low enough that we can step over. We all do it. The danger that Paul warns all of us against here is that instead of taking our burden of sin to God, we embrace it and it leads us further and further from him. We learn more about those who are being led astray in verse 7. And there's some heavy irony here. Take a look. Paul says that they were always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. That is a knowledge of the truth of the gospel. These false teachers were leading people to be always learning, thinking that they were growing in godliness, appearing religious, but all the while never coming to truly know God. That's a dangerous thing. That's why this warning is so important for us today. We need to avoid these people because they can keep us from coming to know God. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You can't pretend like a little leaven is okay. It changes the dough. We need to avoid these people so that they don't lead us and others astray. So what does this look like in your daily life? Here's one application. You need to be discerning with those whose teaching you listen to and read. These people that Paul warns us against aren't hypothetical people. They exist today, and they're dangerous to your spiritual life. Ignoring this warning is like trying to summit a mountain unprepared. You could die. Just because someone calls themselves a pastor doesn't mean that they're teaching the truth. You need to compare their teaching and their lifestyle to what you see in Scripture. And these false teachers are deceptive. 
They're not going to tell you that what they're saying goes against God's word. They're going to try to convince you that it is God's word. Remember, they have an appearance of godliness. It's like if someone set up an alternate trail sign, but instead of leading you to the top of the mountain, it led you off a cliff. And if you're unfamiliar with the way to the top, you might not realize it until it's too late. If you don't know the word of God, and if you don't avoid these people, then you're in danger of being led astray, of always learning but never arriving at a knowledge of the truth. So here's what you need to look for. Look for pastors who call out your sin and urge you to live according to God's word. Not pastors who are perfect, you won't find those, but pastors who strive to live according to God's word and urge you to do the same. Be wary of pastors who just pat you on the back and tell you everything is fine. Everything is not fine. We're filled with sin and we need the power of God to change our hearts. Look for pastors who are willing to gently and humbly but firmly tell you that. That's the kind of pastor you need. And here's another application. That's the kind of friends that you need too. And if they don't do that, if instead they encourage you in your sin, then avoid such people. They're dangerous. Like a little leaven leavens the whole lump, so too these people can lead you and others astray. So that's the first reason that we should avoid such people. Because of these people, we can expect that the Christian life will have times of difficulty. The way forward is to avoid such people. The second reason we are to avoid such people is in verse 8. And we'll spend just one minute looking at this reason. Take a look. It says, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. Wait, who are Janus and Jambres? Does anybody know? Where's uh, Hanhi or Jeff? They, they might know, maybe. Well, if you do know who they are, then props to you. I had to look it up. And it turns out that their names aren't mentioned anywhere in the Bible. These names come from extra-biblical Jewish literature, which said that these are the names of the Egyptian magicians who opposed Moses by trying to imitate his signs before Pharaoh. So when Moses told Aaron to put his uh, staff in the Nile to turn it to blood, Janus and Jambres are the ones who did the same thing to try to disprove the power of Moses' God. And throughout the years, the tradition developed such that these two men became symbols of opponents of the truth. And this is what Paul says. Look again at that verse. Just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind, and disqualified regarding the faith. Just as Janus and Jambres tried to disprove Moses' power and keep his people enslaved in Egypt rather than being freed to worship God, so too do these false teachers. 
They claim to lead people to freedom, but in reality, they keep them enslaved to sin. They can't lead people to a knowledge of the truth because they themselves oppose the truth. And that's the second reason why we are told to avoid these people. Because such people oppose the truth. So here's what this passage is saying. When people, and especially teachers, claim to be Christians, but rather than strive to live a holy life, seek to or embrace their sin and and encourage others to do the same, that's not something that we should take lightly. It's a dangerous thing. Whether these people know it or not, they have denied the faith. They are opposing God and his people and they are leading others astray. And Paul warns us that because of these people, there are difficult days ahead. The way forward is to avoid such people. But this passage ends on a positive note. Take a look at verse 9. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. The good news is that these two men and false teachers won't get very far. Just like Janus and Jambres eventually failed to replicate Moses' miracles and were overcome by the plague of boils, so too the folly of these false teachers will eventually come to light. Like a bad knockoff quickly becomes obvious it's not the real thing, so too with these people. If not in this life, then on the last day, when Christ returns to judge the world, all will be brought into the light. Those who have only an appearance of godliness will be exposed. And those who trust in God will be openly acquitted, not because of our own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ given to us by faith. On our own, we're guilty of all of the sins of this passage to one degree or another. And we all take our sin far too lightly. But the good news is that Jesus Christ did not take our sin lightly. He lived a life of perfect godliness that he might die for our sin and give us his perfect righteousness. And by the power of his spirit, he is making us into his likeness, growing us in true godliness. If you cling to him, he will keep you from being led astray by false teaching and sinful passions. In these last days will come times of difficulty, but just like God was faithful to lead his people out of Egypt, so he will get you to the top of that mountain. And on that last day, when we arrive at the top and we take in that breathtaking view, we'll look back and see that it was all worthwhile and far more than we could have ever 
imagined. On that last day, God will take away all our sin, and we will have not just an appearance of godliness, but true and complete godliness. God will take away all our sin and will live in perfect communion with Him and His people. And our days of difficulty will soon become a distant memory as we bask in the light of the glory of God for all eternity. In the last days will come times of difficulty. But take heart. The last day is coming soon. Let's pray. God, we confess that on our own we're guilty of all of the sins that you warn us against in this passage. We're ungrateful, lovers of money, and we love ourselves rather than loving you. Thank you for sending your son to deal with our sin that instead of guilt, we might be clothed in his perfect righteousness. By the power of your spirit, make us more in his, into his likeness today, we ask. And keep us from being led astray. Bring us through these last days of difficulty and keep us till that last day that your name might be magnified in our hearts and in this world. Amen.